Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, just to remind you, there are no night sessions at the 2020 French Open. That is the public service announcement from the French Tennis Federation uh, coming via us. It still says on their website, official word is there are no night sessions at the 2020 French Open. And that is why at seven minutes past midnight Paris time, we are watching Rafael Nadal and Yannick Sinner not even halfway, scoreline-wise, into their men's quarterfinal match. Best case scenario. Match. <laughs> Best case scenario. They're not quite halfway through that match. Nadal's just taken the first set uh, on the tiebreak 7-6. So as you've, you've probably guessed, unless something extraordinary happens, the result of that won't be in. Um, by the time we finish recording this podcast we're kind of gambling on uh, on Nadal proceeding to victory if he doesn't well either way we'll cover it in tomorrow's podcast but you know there comes a point <laughs> especially when I've got a 6 30 alarm call to be on the today program on Radio 4 you know we we didn't sign up for covering night sessions we were told that there were no night sessions at the French Open yeah, rolling so girls. thank you Patrick our editor um, for putting the shifts in because he didn't sign up for night <laughs> sessions either. Nobody <laughs> has signed up for night sessions, least of all Rafael Nadal and Yannick Sinner. What is this madness, Matt? Yes, I would have got a second caravan if I'd known there'd been night sessions. I've just had to hurry my parents to bed so that I can record. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the caravan. A second, two caravans, Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's fair to say that the reason we are in this uh, sinking night session ship uh, is because Dominic Team and Diego Schwartzman created the biggest and most glorious embouteillage of all time <laughs> earlier on today. A five-hour epic, one six two in the fifth by Diego Schwartzman, his first time in a Grand Slam semi-final, five hours of battle against one of his best friends on tour, Dominic Team, and, and that was one of the most joyous elements of the match, kind of tennis and competition and atmosphere aside, this wonderful spirit in which the match was played and um, a wonderful exchange between the two of them at the net afterwards. Um, it was an embouteillage, but uh, one that I think we were all extremely grateful for. It was... It was extraordinary, David. Mm, yeah, I mean, I commentated on it and I often find it quite hard to judge how good a match is or not when I'm commentating, partly because I get tired because it's so long and, and we're describing rallies and and you start to feel a little bit lightheaded almost commentating like that. And, so, and it was dramatic too. And uh, every set more than an hour long, uh, apart from the final one, you know, I mean, we, we were four and a half hours in after four sets. Um I thought I thought it was really really good, and I thought the 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 way they were attacking and counterattacking was fascinating, and the and difficulties that particularly team had hitting through the surface. But his his fatigue was so obvious for so for much of the match that I felt slightly uncomfortable watching it. A little bit like with the U.S. Open final when he was more inhibited by his own anxiety. This was physical problems um Schwartzman 
had his own issues, yeah. didn't he? Because he's trying to reach... team had palmed off the anxiety problems down the other side yeah. of the court. I mean, because really, you could, you could say that Schwartzman probably should have won it straight sets or certainly four sets, to be honest. And yet, Team very could have easily won it in four sets as well. I mean, it was one of those matches where just a couple of points had gone either way. You could have had a very different... You could have had any one of the score lines, couldn't you? Uh, the, the, in terms of the winner and the set scores. Um, extraordinary. But in, in fact, we ended up with the one that, that Matt predicted. Yes, we did. <laughs> we went around it's your the moment, Matt. I really Take needed it. that. I really, really needed that. Um, you catapulted yes, from the bottom you. of the table to to like second now, haven't you? I have, yes. So it's it's a long a way to the top. On the prediction front, yes. Um, I agree with you, David, that about that element of it being a bit weird because team was so fatigued. I'm just not used to doubting team's physicality in a five-set match, and yet quite early on in this match... I was doubting it, and I, I kind of thought it was on his last legs about two sets in. So the fact that he made it into a fifth set after over five hours was certainly impressive. Um, in that sense, it kind of reminded me of a few matches I've seen from Novak Djokovic, where he's really had to manage his energy levels through a match, and he would go through periods of really looking quite flat and not himself, and then suddenly he would get these surges and teams seem to have a second wind, a third wind, a fourth wind, all sorts of winds to get him back into the match. Um, so I thought it was actually quite a smart match from Dominic Team. He was using his slice backhand a lot. Almost to begin with, I thought it was just really, really tentative. But I think he was, he was having to do that a little bit because of the conditions. It was really windy out there. He was really having to manage his own game. And yet down the other end, you had Schwartzman, who was having to manage, as you said, the nerves and the occasion and trying to achieve something he'd never achieved before. So to have those two elements in contrast with each other throughout the match just made it incredibly tense and not always the highest quality, pretty high quality, but kind of like the US Open final, it didn't really matter that it wasn't always high quality because it was thrilling and compelling and riveting throughout. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed, it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I've just seen that Yannick Sinner's going to break up on Rafa Nadal in the second set. Um, Should we pause here and come back in seven hours' time? <laughs> <laughs> After you've done the Today programme, David. Um, I mean, there was you were doing a fantastic job with uh, tweeting from the Tennis Podcast account uh, throughout the match today, Matt. Um, I particularly enjoyed... Uh, you tweeting, I think this was at the beginning of the third set. So team took the second on a tie break after Schwartzman had served for it. And despite having taken that second set and seemingly, or in theory at least, having the momentum, I at the beginning of the third, frankly throughout the third set, I didn't think there was a, a wind strong enough to to carry Dominic team towards the finish line. No. I didn't think he would make it to a fifth set I didn't think he had the legs to to take him there um and you, you tweeted Matt team is managing his energy levels and Schwartzman is managing team managing his energy levels Schwartzman is managing the occasion and team is managing Schwartzman managing the occasion <laughs> and it was just so perfect it was that was just kind of everything I I panic with matches like this because it's like, oh my God, how are we going to sum it up? How on earth can we possibly do it justice on the podcast? And you've done it justice there in about kind of 80 characters. Yeah, because team was good going. suffering in that, early in that third set. And it kind of came out of nowhere to me because I'm thinking, what, what, he's just leveled the match. Why is he looking? He looks like he can barely really move properly at all. It looks like he's out, like he's just been caught by a right hand in a boxing match and, and, and it's just kind of over. Um, and yet he got was it he got five three down, which Schwartzman's serving for it is that right? And and mm -hmm. then and then Schwartzman blinked, and it was I mean th that that's the point at which I looked up his three other quarterfinals, uh, Schwartzman to see what score lines he'd had, and he the only time he'd he'd won a set was at the French Open one, and he went to set up, but he never got close to this position he found himself in at one set all. 5-3 in this one. And the 
the nerves. I mean, also, you know, the, there's the shot making of team as well. Let's not take that away from team, but it was so interesting. I, I, there's nothing more interesting in a sp- sport to me, and I think tennis is one of the best sports for this, of revealing somebody's character under the most extreme duress and you can there's no hiding it it was you could see it in his eyes and the way he was looking up at his coaching team and and chuntering away and I really felt for him and and actually I'm quite pleased that he won because he's never reached a semi-final before and this is he may never do it again. You know, he may well do that and more, but team has had his moment already and he will have others. And and it it actually meant more, this one, I think, to Schwartzman. And also, I mean, it felt... it, it With all due respect to, to team and his effort level and his commitment to trying to make that semi-final today... And I can't believe I'm about to say this about the physical colossus that is Dominic Team, but it felt like it would have been pointless. It would have been the remains of Dominic Team competing in the semi-final. I mean, he had clearly reached the end of the road today. Maybe he reached it against Hugo Gaston. Um, certainly, Hugo Gaston drove him closer to the edge. But he said at the, the start of this tournament, I am on the road to the edge. It's just a question of whether mm. that edge comes back before you know the second Sunday or not, so he'd have had a couple of days off. But <laughs> if he'd have won, but I st- even so, I, don't think I think it it's more enough. than just a physical recovery. He, this is so cumulative now. I mean, he's had he's had some time off in between these last couple of matches, and he, he just doesn't look right, does he? he? He just hasn't got that violence in his game that he can string together. But but I did want to ask you. Matt's given his version of events about the tactics that he used and thought that they were clever. I was, I found myself frustrated by them because I wanted him to go for it. I thought he, he, his chances might be better if he just went flat out and tried to beat him in three and knock him off the court. Because there were times when he, there were little bursts where he redlined it, but he didn't do that for long periods. I'm honestly not sure that he could. I'm honestly not sure that even Dominic Team could. I think the effort it takes for him to hit the ball as hard as is required on that court in his physical condition, maybe in any physical condition, actually is just not sustainable. Um, I, I don't think that option was available to him today. I really don't. There were there was the odd shot where he hit through it, and he and. You could see his whole body contorting the core strength that is required to apply that power to the ball is just a thing of wonder. But I I don't think even Dominic Team would have been able to do that today relentlessly. I think he had to explore other options. Yeah, that that was my reading on it as well. I think kind of counterintuitively, it takes less out of you if you have some long rallies where you're not engaging your full body into the shot like you don't have to do with a slice. Whereas when team, as Catherine says, when team goes full out with ground strokes, you can kind of see his energy levels dropping with it with every shot he hits. It's it's so forceful and aggressive. And um and I also think he wouldn't have been able to hit through Schwartzman on that slow court in those conditions all those shots would have come back he would have been putting so much kind of input into the shots and not necessarily getting the output that he would have wanted in terms of winning the point necessarily so quickly I know he was doing it occasionally but I just think sustaining that was so so difficult Um, got great timing hasn't he Schwartzman in defense not only the speed across mm. the court but his ability to just block and bunt you know and get it deep and still be in there yeah, I mean, he's playing the best tennis I've ever seen him play. I mean, he's ticking off all these milestones in his career in terms of in the last three weeks, if you count in Rome, he's reached his first Masters final. He's beaten a top five player for the first time. He's now done it twice. He's into the semis of a slam for the first time. He's he's into the top 10 for the first time. You know, so many things have come together for him in these last three weeks. And to think where he was having lost to Cameron Norrie, sitting in his suite, <laughs> sulking, looking just like the saddest man on earth. 
with a, to have suddenly with a campaign behind him for him to donate his sweet to Cam Norrie. <laughs> Give up your sweet, Diego. It must have been a low and moment. Get out of town. Yeah. <laughs> it, it It's a really remarkable transformation and a, I think a reminder of just how temporary things are sometimes in tennis, you know, the, given the opportunities to play week in, week out, people can turn their form around so quickly. And uh, Schwartzman is is making the most of that. I also don't think it's a particularly bad result for Dominic Team, as you've said, within the context of his last month. He played a good tournament here and he was un- he was unfortunate to have Schwartzman in, in his quarter, the kind of in-form player. You know, I think he, he, he handled being US Open champion well. He played well. He got beaten by someone in better physical conditioning than him and playing as well as they possibly can. And I think he's, he's probably, he's probably very, very okay with that. Yeah. His reaction, um, upon losing, even as immediately as when he was at the net with Diego Schwartzman. And I know that this is, this is partly down to their, their, their clearly very rich friendship, um, and respect for one another. But it was almost like, Whilst the match was live, in the heat of competition, Dominic's team was prepared to put his life and his body on the line to win because he doesn't know any other way. But as soon as game set and match was called and the spell was broken, he was completely fine with it. Mm. He knew he had nothing left to give. He knew a semi-final against anyone would have been a futile effort. Exactly as you said, Matt, he has performed well as a Grand Slam champion, he kind of doesn't really have much left to prove in that regard. It's not like he capitulated first round under the the pressure or anything like that. It was just, okay, this is fine. This is the right result. Um, and Diego Schwartzman felt that way as well. I loved that there was, whilst there was tons of humility about his post-match interview, there was no imposter syndrome. He said, oh, I think I deserve to win. And I loved that line so much. And he said it with I a big really smile, didn't he? And, uh, yeah. But you're right. I mean, he. there are some people who, when they lose matches, you, you worry for how they're going to sleep that night. And I would have really worried for him. He would have had a, a horrible night. And and the, the fact that he doesn't have to go through that, he loves the fact that he doesn't have to, you know. This is because no matter what happens now, he he's he's already a winner this fortnight. He's reached uncharted territory for himself, and yeah, he do, he did deserve to win. He absolutely did. Yeah, it was it was like a man in full watching uh, Diego Schwartzman today. I don't know if you've read that book. I mean, nothing like the book, but it made me think of that um, book title. I'd never seen so many kind of personality dimensions to him on a tennis court before. I felt like I saw him fall apart and put himself back together <laughs> all in the space of one, albeit very, very long tennis match. I mean, I feel like I watched him have, you know, a full on existential crisis when he failed to serve out the second set. And then I watched him have the same crisis <laughs> when he failed to serve out the the third set and he was ranting away in Spanish. And then by the, by the fourth set, he was, he had sort of reverted to a sort of slightly ironic kind of laughing at the situation. He'd kind of gone around the houses with how he could emotionally deal with what was going on. Um, yeah. I, I felt like I've, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen all of Diego Schwartzman now. And I, I, as much as elements of it were stressful to watch, I enjoy what I've learned about him very much. He actually apologised, didn't he, in his on-court interview for the aspects of his personality that came out in those third and fourth sets. He said, I don't know if that was me on the court. I don't know whether the crowd recognised me on the court in those third and fourth sets. Like you said, when he was getting really, really stressed and kind of very vocal towards his box. It was it was Andy Murray-esque in terms of the way he was kind of ranting and shouting at them a little bit. And, um, you know, I think that makes it that makes it all the sweeter, I think, that he managed to come through those tight moments and, um, as you said, have this kind of full circle where by the end there was a there was a forehand that team hit in the fourth set to save set point, which was unbelievable. And Schwartzman, as you said, just laughed at it. <laughs> He'd kind of ex- accepted the absurdity of this five-set match that he was involved in. And I think in the end, that 
that acceptance perhaps carried him through a little bit because it was in the moments where he wasn't accepting it in those second and third sets where he got tight and he did lose it. But once he had got those kind of demons out of him, he became a much calmer player on the court. Lovely sportsmanship between the two, by the way, in terms of accepting the other one's version of whether it's in or out. Oh, it gave me through. it gave me Herbert Mau feels. Mm. <laughs> really By the way, can did. I just tell you about a shot I've just seen Yannick Sinner? I was hoping which... you would. Yeah, I was going in- <sighs> to interject, but I'm I'm glad I mean, the professional radio commentator is going to do it for d- us. He, he he's he's been lobbed over his high backhand side, and it's so high there's no way he can put any power on this high backhand smash. So he doesn't try to smash. He just hits it, pats it at an acute angle across the net. And into the only place that it could possibly evade Rafael Nadal, which is by hitting Nadal's own chair, and that's what oh that's God. what happened. Nadal had to, Nadal ran down the drop shot, but the ball hit his chair before Nadal could get to it. And I mean, he's still about to face two break points, though, Sinner. Yeah. Oh no, maybe not because Nadal's. Oh no, not it's thirty all. Soon oh, to be out of date is... tennis news. Breathtaking shot. I, I do wonder, win or win or lose, it's a set and uh, set to Nadal and, th- and three all in this second set. I do wonder about what Nadal is going to have to say about playing this match at I mean, this it's, time. It's bonkers scheduling. It's um, twelve because I mean, unquestionably, these he's not enjoying it. Nadal, this no. is this is a bit of an ordeal for him. The conditions don't suit him at all. I, he's a total professional. I doubt he'll complain about that. But yeah, it is bonkers, and it was entirely predictable we were joking about it last night and that's not because we (laughs) have fantastic foresight or prediction skills this was an entirely likely scenario everybody knew teams schwartzman would be an ordeal everybody knew that yeah and you know it it could have been worse first match of the day okay that was a three-setter but the the second one was straight sets and and frankly Igor Svantec did uh did the schedule as a a great, great favor by mm. uh, by winning as easily as she did. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Where should we go next, folks? Where do we want to go? Well, I was just going to say on Nadal, if, if he does come through this... This is the kind of test that I was thinking he needed. And in the worst possible conditions for him, 
against a player with a kind of style that can cause him trouble, I think he takes a lot of confidence from this if if he can win it. And he'll have got to a stage where he's never lost at the French Open. He's, he's never lost once he's got to the semis. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, sort of short term, he's absolutely hating it. But I think <laughs> long term, it's possible that it might just completely harden him. But yeah, he's having to do a lot of defending. And that was the stuff that I was kind of worried about, that he that he just wasn't having to do against his opponents through the first few rounds. Sinner actually, uh, he served for that first set, didn't he? And suddenly yeah. Nadal activated the forehand down the line. Um, and it they're, was, they're measuring yeah, it was the incredible. Sinner backhand as faster than the Nadal forehand in the match so far. I, I think it is tonight, yeah. I'd... I'd, I'd I don't know. I don't have the data on it, but but Sinner off both wings looks to be hitting faster than Nadal tonight. Well, the forehand's even faster. Uh, he, he, yeah, he's hitting right at over eighty miles an hour, and he's hitting his his backhand at seventy five. I think it was uh, what they said on TV. I want um, an audio recording that I can always have to hand. Of well, actually, two things from today. I want a Danielle Collins, come on, and I want a <laughs> the sound that. Uh, the racket makes as uh, the Yannick Sinner racket makes as it makes contact with a tennis ball because it's like no other. It, it It's beyond the carrot snap. I'm going to have to think of another little uh, analogy for it. Um, it's like a crack of lightning or something, but that's too... Um, who else that's has got... Route, route one. I'll, I'll give it some thought. Who but else has got a forehand and backhand combo attack? From the baseline, like he's got. Sviontek? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, these are players that are, that you feel could, we could be talking about them in five or ten years' time. I mean, I know know that it could not, it could also not happen that they become really, really important names in the sport. But these two, they do feel like they've got, the basics, the goods. I mean, they're both 19, aren't they? Sviantec and Sinner. And they're both offering something not completely different, but they're both offering a package that that stands up in in eras where we've seen some incredible talents and they're still standing out. Yeah, and the similarities in terms of temperament as well. I mean, I cannot believe the calmness of, uh, of Yannick Sinner tonight I mean he just you can tell there's a a steel and a sort of low burning embers of a fire there but it's it's under the most placid waters he's He's extraordinarily calm for a 19 year old yeah um and he he's he's so effortless about everything as you said Matt so smooth and he never makes a sound during during the course of the rally. You don't even hear him make a loud exhale. I don't know if this match goes long, um, whether that will whether that will change. But certainly in the first set, he was he was quiet as a mouse. And there's there's something of that in uh, Svantec as well, isn't there? She's just she certainly seems unbelievably calm. I mean the 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 level of new experience that she went through today first a Grand Slam quarterfinal against a completely unknown opponent that she's expected to beat. She's suddenly the favourite to win a Grand Slam title. She had to wait all day. I mean, I can't imagine how many times she must have warmed up over the course of that Schwartzman team match. I mean, she was probably the only person as annoyed as Diego Schwartzman that he failed to serve out the <laughs> the second and third sets. And then she comes out and she goes a breakdown in the first set. And... I feel like any other 19-year-old would have gone, oh, for goodness sake, everything's stacked against me today. Or panicked or um, something. Or panicked, exactly. And she did the exact opposite. She just kind of clicked her fingers, turned the match around, clicked into gear and and won it in the end, as much as Trevor Sand's effort was was fantastic and she was trying right until the last, there was nothing she could do, really. Svantec has just so many weapons at her disposal. Mm. It's, it's one of the hardest things you can do in tennis, back up a big win. And not only back up a big win, but as you said, have your win shift the whole dynamics of the tournament. You be responsible for 
the pressure that's now being put on you because you're now somehow the favourite for this tournament. And as you said, she started the match not actually playing that well. She went down an early break and she was making some errors. Certainly when you compare her level at the start of this match compared to the start of the Hallett match, she was she was miles off. And yet she didn't panic once. And I just think that actually made this this win just as impressive as the Hallett win. The fact that she then reeled off 11 of the next 12 games against a, a battle-hardened opponent in Trevisan who, who was not really giving her anything. But Sviontek has so many different ways to beat you. She can beat you with the power. She can beat you with the craft. And I think when you've got so many options... Like we've said a lot with players like Grigor Dimitrov, can sometimes be a bad thing because you've got to suddenly simplify all those options in your mind and know how to deploy them at the right time. And that she does at 19 years old is just a testament to the, well, to the head on her shoulders and 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 her just very very high tennis IQ. I think. Um, and in her press conference, there was a very interesting point raised by Tomaini Cariol that she's barely been given any wild cards she's really had to come through the ranks by winning matches and at the time that can feel like a bad thing because you're constantly having to prove yourself while other players are maybe getting handed some opportunities but if you can that really really toughens you up and hardens you and she already feels like she is hardened by the number of times she's had to qualify for events or scrap through opening rounds because she didn't get those wild cards. And, you know, so she's 19 years old, but in tennis years, it feels like she's older than that. Yeah, I think we're looking at a already someone who feels like quite a complete player. I, I love her rally construction. I was watching her today when she's playing this left-hander as well, bear that in mind, who's, who's coming at her in a completely different way to how Halep did. And she kept on hitting an inside-out backhand, just targeting the, uh, that side of, of Trevisan and then opening up the court. And it's a drop shot or it's a, a drive down the line with her own forehand. And she had, as you said, she just has so many different ways to beat you. And she does it in such a quiet cold way i don't mean that as a as a i mean that as a complete compliment she just goes and takes you out i mean she that when you listed all those set scores those eight sets that she's won and they're all one-sided sets and i come back to what i said in the the last podcast no it's 10 sets now isn't it that that, that they're all different types of player every single player she's beaten is it has a different style two left-handers in there as well I think she's she's got me believing that she's the favourite for the title as well now. She's lost 20 games through to the semi-finals in 10, 10 sets. Yeah, can, I don't know, can we get Sue Shea some kind of <laughs> runners-up trophy for taking four games off her in a single set? Can that be arranged? <laughs> Definitely, let's get Sue Shea some trophies. Um, and Svantec might be the favourite, David, to do the double. She's playing with Melika. Oh, she's a great doubles player. Crikey, yeah, they, and, she and really right. could do the double. It is the quarterfinals, so it's uh, with Nicole uh, Melika and they're up against Asia Mohammed and Jessica Pagula. She really could do the double. Which well, Kenin's Kenin was oh no, Kenin was beaten in the uh, in the doubles in the quarters. Hey, folks, we're going to get Kenin Collins, oh. and we're going to get it tomorrow. Well, it'll have some going to beat Kenin, uh, to beat Collins Jabir oh. that we saw earlier today. That, that was the first match of the day, wasn't it? And we were all yeah, watching. I was in the hotel it? at that time. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> because, mainly because of your reaction to the first seven games, because of the of of the way Collins was behaving, and I and you looked happier than I've seen you in months. I loved it. I absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I can't remember all the things I said about it now. I feel like I should. Um, re- tennis relived from 13 <laughs> hours ago from the uh, WhatsApp group. But I just, I was so invigorated by it, by both of them, really. I mean, they're so contrasting. I, as I said last night, I love Ons Jabeur and I love the contrast with with Danielle Collins. And I love that she didn't really s- seem to get riled by what 
Danielle Collins was doing kind of attitude wise and she actually she actually kind of managed whether it was Jabur or not I I don't know but she really kind of subdued Collins in the second set she went she went quiet well by playing absolutely incredible tennis but let's let's just rewind a little bit because personally I did think she was not, I don't want to say put off, but I think she went into a shell because she was six four three love down, and this, and and this was in the early stages of the match. It was very very quiet. I mean, it was early in the day; nobody had really come in yet, and and I just started to notice that Collins was gesturing to somebody in a box and and waving a hand as if to say, "Come on." Come on, let me hear you. I, I need more emotion. I need to hear you. And she wasn't getting enough back. And I know she got two or three people there. And I was thinking, <laughs> Nicholas Malmagro, your coach, he is not the type who's going to be shouting and screaming at you. Uh, I don't know what you're expecting. Anyway, <laughs> and I, I didn't think too much more of it. And then the next thing, you just heard the kind of noise that you demonstrated to us, Catherine, with her shouting, come on, in the loudest most aggressive manner you could possibly imagine and then she won that point and the next point she went let's go and she did it even more loud and and in in a way that if i was her opponent i would be first of all slightly taken aback i think and and i don't know whether i'd be annoyed about it or just a bit shocked and a bit scared by it because but and the what i got from it because this happened several times she did this about seven or eight times and I thought that Ange Jabeur, the force of that personality, I think, subdued her for quite a while. And she didn't play her own expressive brand of tennis. And then halfway through that second set, Collins did seem to quieten down. And this was when she was leading by set and three love. And Jabeur just started to play the most incredible tennis. It was uh, highlighted by a full-blooded serve out wide from Collins, met with a backhand cushioned drop shot winner off the return, which I think I've only ever seen Mansour Barami hit. Met with a face. Yeah, I mean, she, you're right. Great, Collins couldn't face. believe what she was seeing. <laughs> and she, she was kind of, she, she kind of had to give credit for it. And, and you pointed out a few times that she, she's actually a really good sport in terms of applaud, of congratulating her opponent. And I've, I'd never really seen that before, but she was twice. I saw her in the first set applaud shots by Anstrebern. It's I, I do love that combo of, of the aggression, but the, the good sports personship of, of just acknowledging an opponent's shot. Yeah. I think I've, on safe ground to say that Danielle Collins divides most people. I think, you know, you kind of love her or hate her. I think we all fall down on the same side of that in terms of when she's on the court. I mean, to me, she just makes, she makes tennis more interesting and more entertaining. And someone who watches a lot of tennis matches, that's, that's kind of what I'm after. And particularly in an empty stadium where they can be a bit lifeless. She, she brings energy to them. Certainly, when she was playing her best in that match she did in those first and third sets. Um, and I think her screams have even more effect in an empty stadium because they echo and reverberate <laughs> around. So they, you kind of get a double scream. Um, I, was, I was sad to see Ons Jabeur go out because, as you said, that, that purple pack she hit in the middle of the match was as, as exhilarating as any tennis I've seen this tournament, I think, the the drop shots, but also the power from the baseline. And it was just so impressive. And I just think her problem in the third set was that she just couldn't hold serve. That is that is Mary Carrillo's number one rule in tennis. You have to f- figure out a way to hold serve. And Collins was doing such a good job of jumping on, on the returns and putting her under pressure. And um, in the end, her kind of force of personality and and the ability to dominate on Jabeur's serve, I think, got her through. But uh, yeah, it was a it's a fantastically entertaining match. Probably probably one of the best matches starting at eleven o'clock in the morning that <laughs> I can ever remember. Um, I felt a little bit for Nicolas Almagro getting kind of getting shouted at, but as you pointed out, Catherine, he he did know what he was signing up for, and I and I do think that's a very interesting part of that coaching relationship. You know, she, she's got to have someone who doesn't mind getting shouted at or being told to bring energy on the court. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of coaches wouldn't like that or would throw up a bit of a fuss maybe. And Almagro 
certainly seems to be doing something right because they've just teamed up together and she's having her best ever results on clay. He's fresh off the tour, a little bit like mm. David Ferrer. I mean, I I I, I was at um, a uh, I was at the Lamanga place in Spain a couple of years ago when he was. He played an exhibition match and he was just trying to start a comeback, but he got his knee was really in a bad way and and uh, and it didn't get off the ground really. But you know, it's quite interesting seeing these players, these this new raft of players that are just off the tour, who are trying to make a go of it as a coach. And I, I knew nothing of his interest in coaching really, um, so that really did come out of the blue that they were working together. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it works out. Seems to be going right so far. Nadal is serving for the second set at 5-4, but he's at 30-all. There was a press conference for Collins, wasn't there? There was, was a press like? conference for Collins, and I I went to it in the sense that we go to things now, um, because you'd, you'd tipped me off. I'd intended to go to it anyway, just because, you know, she's my people. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, uh, and I'm just, not so much that I'm just kind of interested in her. I'm interested, yeah. I find her really, really interesting and a bit different and um, kind of multifaceted. And I don't think, you know, she had that run at the Australian Open and and people kind of told her story a bit. But I feel like there's still more excavating to go with Danielle Collins. I feel like there's quite a lot there. Um, and you reminded me, David, that she she. Um, she revealed that she had this um, rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis last year. It turns out she's actually suffered with it, she thinks, or her doctors think, her whole career, right back to her student days. But it was misdiagnosed for a long, long time. She'd kind of been having ongoing medical tests for throughout her career. Um, so, yeah, and I was kind of went with the intention of asking about that, and I had... I read some some quotes from her talking about it early on this year because um, she had a, I'd forgotten that she'd had quite a strong start to to the season, um, and she was talking about kind of how she feels about maybe being a a role model for for people not only with rheumatoid arthritis but kind of similar people you know facing physical or whatever struggle. And overcoming, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, she was just talking about her 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 kind of instinctive discomfort with the idea of being a role model, but how she intended to to try and find a way somehow to become more comfortable with that and grow into it a little bit. And I thought, oh, this would be really interesting to talk to her about. And I did not ask a question, partly because I'm a chicken. Um, but partly because the press conference kind of took a slightly weird turn. She was, she was asked about, uh, she was asked about, um, lockdown and the pandemic. And I mean, it, it wasn't even a non-tennis related question. It was, it was lockdown and the pandemic in relation to, to tennis and its hiatus and all the other, um, various uh, circumstances surrounding it and she she wasn't happy with the question at all and she she described it as frivolous to be asking about non-tennis things and kind of refused to to go down that road which which was a bit of a shame I mean it was a it was a misfire frankly she she misjudged mm. that um yes I know she's 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 done plenty of press conferences before I, I don't know how many you know Zoom press conferences she's done before. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting it at all. And I've it's my first Zoom press conference with her. I interviewed her when she reached that Australian Open semi final a couple of years ago, and and she was very no nonsense. You know, it was quite no frills, but in a way that I in a way that I I liked and respected. But yeah, it. It wasn't the meeting of minds that I, you know, I expected to ask my question, her answer, and then say, can we be friends? And me say, yes, we can be friends. Um, I'll put my number in the chat once everyone else is logged off and we'll go for virtual coffee. And yeah, didn't, not this time, but maybe she'll keep winning. <laughs> I wasn't in that press conference, but I did have a listen back to the audio of it that Roland Garros posed on there 
portal. And I'm certainly not blaming the journalist for this at all. I think if you've got a question to ask, you kind of ask it at any point. But I noticed that the first question of the press conference was kind of COVID related. And I don't know whether it just slightly caught her off guard mm. a little bit. I think I don't think you'd be expecting mm. that as the first one, I have to say. Yeah. I think in my experience of press conferences, you, if a player has just had a massive win like that, the first thing they want to do is talk about the win, mm. which I do get, actually. And I think there's absolutely a place for any question you want to ask. But I do feel it's better if they come halfway through. But one of the problems is we, we have to put our hands up uh, to ask for a question. And if if your story that you want to write is about that subject and you get chosen first, what do you do? Not ask your question? It's it's a tricky one. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It just all kind of got off on slightly the wrong yes. foot. Um, I, wonder, I wonder, by the way, I mean, she played world team tennis and there was that controversy about the fact that she left the bubble in world team tennis and and from what she explained she needed to go and get some of the medicine that she has for the rheumatoid arthritis that's what she said she'd gone off site for and she got ejected from world team tennis as a result of of that um so i wonder whether she's maybe just a little uncomfortable with that story in the background i don't I, know i do think um, there's a, a bit of defensiveness about her and perhaps um Perhaps very understandably so, actually. I mean, she's always been an outsider, hasn't she? Yeah. Um, in in many many different ways in her career, you know, it's, it's a didn't have a privileged background. Absolutely came not. Through the she's university, f- got herself a degree. She's had to fight for everything, and that is reflected in the way she plays her tennis and the way she way mm. she has to play her tennis because she's a really good tennis player, but she doesn't have the weapons and the gifts that some people have. Her biggest weapon and and it probably as you say won her the match today is the way her personality dominates a tennis court um and good on her for for finding a difference maker in herself um but yeah i think she's always been a bit of an outlier so i do wonder if that is reflected in in yeah um but anyway we'll be friends one day and it'll all be fine and Catherine's blocked out her diary for, from about 12 tomorrow. Well, I mean, there's not much in my diary. It's, it's no, 2020. If you had. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything you would have not cancelled <laughs> for that. And um, she leads the head-to-head against Kenin. Really? As you, as you mentioned, uh, Collins' strong start to the season. I was looking, she beat her 6-3, 6-1 in Adelaide. So just this before year? Kenin... Yeah, wow. just before Kenin went on to win the Australian Open, she took a bit of a thumping at the hands of Collins. And I think a couple of, she's beaten her a couple of other times at much lower level events. Um, so it's, it's technically a 3-0 and head-to-head record and 6-0 and in sets. I don't know if they've played on clay, but um, it, I don't know, it feels a bit like fire meeting fire in that match and, and two very strong personalities clashing against each other and baseline games and yeah it, i will also be blocking out my day to watch that <laughs> i do wonder if you know if there's not room for all that fire on the court the one to bend will be kenin i don't think daniel collins mm. compromises on her attitude for anything it's as we saw with how sporting she was today and in lots of matches it's not about who's at the other end of the court it's never personal it's never i don't think it's ever um unpleasant it's all kind of internal um and yeah she's not afraid to direct a fist pump down the other end of the court but it never feels unpleasant to me um and i don't think she'll compromise on it and i i wonder if there'll be room for them both to be completely uncompromising i don't i don't know but i'm very excited to see it's like a little experiment Science experiment. Yeah. Um, there's one remaining single ma- singles match from the day to discuss, and that is the top seed remaining in the women's competition, Alina Svitolina, going out to the world number 131, Nadia Podoroska of Argentina, going out in straight sets and not having played badly. That's my assessment of yeah. it. She she played absolutely fine. She played the way Svitolina has been playing tennis throughout the tournament, quite often plays tennis. And she was just beaten fair and square by what looked like a, a better tennis player 
today. Yeah, really aggressive, adventurous performance from Podoroska, who had played, I, I don't, I mean, I haven't looked all of her results up, but I saw that she's played over 50 matches this year. I mean, it's, which is extraordinary, considering we've hardly had a tour. You know, she's obviously a lot, of, most of those matches have come at lower rungs of the tour, but she, that's more than double most of the other players that, that are left in. She's played that many matches, and you could kind of see that today. She just went for everything. She, I mean, she had she had to overcome the nerves at the end with multiple match points. I do still f- think that although you, you say Svitolina played well, and I think she played fine in terms of, but what she does is she plays safe, and she invited Podoroska onto her. And Podoroska needed no second invitation. And she just went and took the chance. And that's the difference, I'm afraid, with Svitolina's career so far in the Grand Slam. She doesn't step up. She doesn't find another gear. Um, Podoroska's a lovely story, really. I mean, she'd never beaten a top 20 player in her career before. And I loved seeing all these messages flooding onto social media from Argentine legends Juan Martin Del Potro, Gabriela Sabatini, David Nalbandi, and all these sort of players just that, that we've known for years suddenly were so happy and celebrating their compatriots' successes. And, and I, I really felt happy for her. Am I the only one getting Gustavo Quirton vibes from Nadia Podoroska? Oh, wow. In terms of coming from nowhere to have a run at the French Open... I even think she grunts a bit like Gustavo Quirton. I was I was thinking back to our tennis free lived and the and the pitch and the tone of her grunt is quite deep like Gustavo Quirton. She loves to dominate with that forehand. She has the weapon of the tournament, which is the drop shot, which she deployed pretty well today. There were a couple of occasions where I think she probably should have just kept on ripping the forehands, but Again, it was a it was a useful one for her, and obviously South American. She's got this wave of support behind her. I don't know. I'm just it's it's just a little connection that came to me. Um, and she, as you said, David, she's got this willingness to just go after the ball and keep being aggressive. And I was I was really blown away. I'd honestly never seen her play before. This was, and I feel bad about that that someone's got to the quarterfinal of a slam, and I just just hasn't been. And now a semi-final, it just hasn't been on my radar. Even in this tournament, there have been so many stories. It's like the qualifiers have taken it personally that there was no <laughs> qualifying at the US Open and they've just thought, right, we're going to really turn up at Roland Garros and make it ours. And there's been so many stories that we've highlighted of players outside the top 100. And yet she, had, even within that little group, had, had remained to me kind of on the fringes when you compare her to... Gaston and Trevisan and all these other players. Um, but yeah, I was, I was so, so impressed. And I do think, as you said, the, the matchup did kind of favour her because Svitolina with her tennis invites someone to attack her. And that's clearly what Podoroska likes to do or certainly did today. I, I don't know whether if someone takes it to her a little bit more and tests out her defence, whether that will kind of stand up. But what a what an incredible story! And there was a, there was an amazing moment at the end. I thought where she threw a racket up in the air, and um, it went behind her. And then suddenly she remembered that she needed her racket to uh, to do the racket tap at the net, <laughs> and she had to run back and pick it up and get it. It was just kind of the innocence of that moment, and uh, yeah, just an incredible story and one that I'm glad to finally be discovering. She's the first qualifier in the open era to reach a uh, women's semi-final at, at Roland Garros. And she'll face Iga Svantec. So one of Nadia Podoroska and Iga Svantec will be a Roland Garros finalist. And the other will be uh, one of Kenin and Collins and uh, Petra Kvitova and Laura Siegmund, who play uh, first up tomorrow morning, then it is Collins Kennan, then it's Rublev Sitsipas on Bouteillage Alert, and then it's uh <laughs> then it's Djokovic Karenya Buster. I mean that could still go that could still be a night session. And they're yeah. starting an hour they're later. Starting an hour later. <laughs> oh good thinking. <laughs> um yeah, any upsets tomorrow? What's happening tomorrow? Oh. 
Is Svantec going to win the doubles? No. Ooh. I'd say no. But I think she'll win the singles. The whole thing. So I'd, I'm not seeing the Gustavo Curtin parallels as a result of that. And it's the first time I'd thought about it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a lovely thing. But I still can't see her beating Svantec. I, th- I, I think I agree with you. Yes. But up to now, Gustavo Quirton parallels. Mm. Uh, that match will be on Thursday. In fact, both women's semifinals are on Thursday, aren't they? The, uh, the men have, uh, or the men that play today, that play and win today, have a couple of days off before their semifinals. And it looks very much like it is going to be Diego Schwartzman against Rafael Nadal because it is two sets to love and uh, a break at one love and game point to Nadal in the third set as we close out the podcast. Um, it looks like it's going to be a straight sets win and I imagine there'll be a big, big sigh of relief from Nadal for, yeah, for a whole so. bunch of reasons um, at that. And it'll end up being kind of ideal because as you say, Matt, he's had a test Um but we'll still have navigated it without expending uh, extraneous energy, which is uh, kind of exactly exactly what he would have wanted. So um, I think that's it for day 10. Five more to go. It's definitely been good, hasn't it? It's It's not felt weird in a while. I mean, it's felt, you know, like ridiculous scheduling. There have been, you know... There have been weird that, moments and stuff, but it's not felt weird like the first few days have, have no. felt weird. When you were making those comparisons to the US Open sort of unfavorably in terms of the weirdness, that's gone now to me. Now that all the focus is on the main courts, the crowd is there, the matches are good. I, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Really enjoying the tennis now. Mm. Yeah, it's good. You can uh, you can go and have a whiskey now, David. I will. What time are you doing your thing tomorrow? Um, I think it's 6pm UK time. Remind me what I'm doing. You're doing an Instagram Q&A. Okay. So sign up to our Instagram page, which is uh, instagram.com forward slash the tennis podcast. So Isn't you send, you Matt, send, you you send the like questions in in advance. <laughs> Have I done it wrong, Matt? No, that was brilliant. I just laughed at instagram.com. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just go down in the show notes and click on the link. And yeah, get your que- basically, we will advertise on the, on the stories. Is that right, Matt? Is that right? On, advertise on the stories for questions to come in. You lot send in your questions and Catherine answers them. Do I get to there choose them? Do I get to curate them in some way? I don't want, I don't want porn yes. bots getting to ask all the questions <laughs> they've ever had for me. Okay. Can I ask some? Well, you can, but... Note: I will be curating the questions. So, right, um, but yeah, an- animal questions. I mean, the odd tennis question, if you like, but animal questions very much welcome. I guess we'll advertise for questions. We'll do the little question box in the stories earlier on in the day right. to get a few coming in, and then you'll be answering them from six. Yeah, please send in questions because it really will be embarrassing if there aren't any. I'll Especially now, I've made some, a big like... deal of how I'm going to sift through, uh, <laughs> sift through all the. Uh, <laughs> All the questions. Yeah, please send some in. Um, maybe Steve could send one in from Cam. Hello, Cam. Yeah. Um, hope you're enjoying the podcasts. This is probably this is probably prime time in the US where uh, where Cam is, right? This is, yeah. you know, he's while it's midnight for us. currently to Nadal probably, Sinner. Yeah, who's loving it. Two love up now in the third. Yeah. Poor old Yannick Sinner. Anyway, his time will come. His time will come. Um, so hello, Cam. Thanks for your support. Thanks for, for being a dog and being great um, and for being our mascot. And we'll be back for day 11 of the French Open, our 11th daily French Open podcast of 2020. Well, actually, if we're really keeping count, our 26th uh, French Open daily podcast of 2020 <laughs> so if you're enjoying them tell your friends leave us an iTunes review um, do whatever you can in that regard thanks very much we'll speak to you tomorrow Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 